Welcome, friends, to a special series on the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andrew Wong, and this is a podcast that is dedicated to exploring the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am honored to be a co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, a clinic in Washington, D.C. area, with a mission to create a global revolution in healthcare by educating, leading, and inspiring people towards optimal health and true well-being. One of the key modalities we utilize in our clinic to help patients and be of service is functional medicine. We are excited to offer you this series as an insightful look into functional medicine, otherwise known as root cause resolution medicine, and walking you through case studies that emphasize how we think about and approach holistic care with our patients. In today's case and episode, we're gonna be talking about hormone health and walking through a patient, we're gonna call her name Alicia. She's 40 years old. And she's had two pregnancies and deliveries. Her menstrual regularities began after her second child was born five years ago. Now, her menstrual irregularities are that she has irregular periods. Sometimes she has heavy periods, sometimes they're light. She can't really tell. She does have some pain at times too, kind of premenstrual cramping as well. She's been using a birth control pill for several years, but then discontinued that about six months ago due to concerns about their impact on her overall health. Alicia also suffers from anxiety that's related to a traumatic accident in her late teens. So again, her menstrual cycle has become irregular with variations in her cycle length and flow. And she's noticed increased mood swings ranging from irritability, anxiety, and occasional episodes of sadness as well. She's had low energy and difficulty getting out of bed in the morning. And she's noticed unexplained weight gain, particularly around her midsection, her abdomen and hips, despite maintaining a relatively healthy diet. She has low libido uh, to the chagrin of her partner and herself. And she's noticed the loss of the outer third of her eyebrows. So that's this part right here, her eyebrows. In terms of lifestyle, for her diet, she eats a vegetarian diet. She does eat some eggs. She occasionally includes things like imitation meats and pre-made meals and packaged foods. From a stress perspective, she's a stay-at-home mom, which is a full-time job, and she also has difficulty managing her childcare and household needs and busy family schedule. From a movement perspective, she does walk daily, and she also takes a Zumba class once a week. So Alicia is a very typical 40-year-old. She has a lot of responsibilities. She has her kids that are growing up. She's shuttling them around to different activities. She has a partner and, uh, you know, trying to meet the needs of her, of her husband as well. She also has a, uh, a, a busy home life with all the responsibilities that, that a person would have, taking care of kids, taking care of the household, um, taking care of the finances, taking care of the housework and all of that. So, you know, this is a very typical um, person. And then on top of that, she has another job, which is self-care. Now, we all know that really the the most important patient, you know, for all of us is, is patient zero, which is ourselves. So, so how does a person like this that is really caring for all these other people, uh, you know, care for herself? I think that's really the first question I would ask Alicia is, hey, Alicia, how are you caring for yourself? You know, what are you doing to take time for yourself? Now, she is on a, taking a Zumba class. She does walk daily. Um, a lot of times what I, I see a lot of times is people are exercising 
or they're doing things, but they're not doing it to take care of themselves. They're, they're doing it because they want to look like self magazine glossy cover model or something, or they they want to look like their friends, or they want to go to the beach and look good. So we we really want to emphasize here that if if she's doing some self care activities like walking or Zumba or any sort of stress management, she's doing it not to punish herself or not to please others, but to really take care of herself. And I think that's the first thing I would really ask this person in this kind of situation, which again, I think we've all been in this situation. Um, what do you do to really take care of yourself? What do you do that, that brings you joy and, and peace in life and, and a little bit of a respite from kind of what she's been um, tasked with doing in her life and taking care of her household and managing her family? So that's that's really I would probably spend a long time, you know, a fair amount of time, you know, talking about this. Um, and then I would also ask her about the um, the birth control pill. So she was on a birth control pill for several several years. We know that uh, birth control can cause a number of hormonal imbalances. It can decrease endogenous, meaning internal production of different hormones like estrogen and progesterone. It can also increase something called sex hormone binding globulin, or SHBG. That is what I would describe to patients like this um, as a taxi cab driver. Taxi cab driver takes people around, or I should say nowadays Uber or Lyft, but takes these other hormones around like testosterone and estrogen, puts them in the cab or puts them in the, the Prius, let's say, um, and basically shuttles them around and binds them so that the body cannot use uh, its own uh, hormones. The hormones are not what are called bioavailable. So I think the birth control can actually um, for some people, really imbalance their hormones, and, and that would be important to understand what those concerns were um, for for her. And then uh, we can talk about lab work in a minute. I'd also ask her about the um, the traumatic accident in her late teens, because we know that a lot of a hormone balance does depend on stress management and resilience. And if someone has a long-standing stress or a history of a, a, a significant stress like a trauma, and and that's causing anxiety. What that ha what happens is there's something called the fight or flight response. And if that is turned on in a in a longstanding way, where it's just kind of on all the time. Um, so if you think about it, if someone is uh, you know, if that's on all the time, it's kind of like if your light in your house is on all the time and it was like super bright and you couldn't turn it off. Um, you know, you're going to eventually get headaches and fatigue and you're going to go crazy, right, if, if, you're, if you can't turn the light off. So you want to turn that stress light off, um, you know, once in a while so your body can recover, so your mind, body, spirit can recover. So she suffers from this anxiety. We know that anxiety can affect hormonal balance, um, so we want to ask her about that as well. I would also ask her about the unexplained weight gain. So um, she maintains a relatively healthy diet. We can talk kind of more about that, what, what, the, what that really means. I think from a, a nutrition perspective, and this is a non-judgmental podcast at all, um, there, is, there is, I think, certain uh, people that eat more vegetables on a vegetarian diet, let's say, or a plant-forward diet, which I, I do think is healthy to eat in a lot of plants. And then there's people that are eating more more carbohydrates, things like maybe you know bread, pancakes, rice, potatoes, and they call that a vegetarian diet. It's really a carbitarian diet. So I don't know if I would say that exactly uh, to every person like that, but having having a situation where if she is 
think she's eating healthy because she's on a vegetarian diet, but she's more on a carbitarian diet. Those carbohydrates are going to increase insulin, which is another hormone that's secreted by the pancreas that's going to lead to basically fat storage and weight gain. So I think that would be a piece of the puzzle there. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the outer third of her eyebrows. Now, I know people that paint their eyebrows also, so you can you can paint your eyebrows and kind of gloss over that. But we don't want to gloss over her symptoms, right? We want to we want to go from you know um, glossing over symptoms to actually addressing symptoms. So um, and and disease processes. So those eyebrows, you know, I, I might ask her to if she wants, you know, she might she might not like me after I say this, but I might say, hey, Alicia, don't paint over your eyebrows anymore. Um, let's let's see if they can get better, you know, without without that without that um, uh, without that uh, makeup. Um, I, I I struggle for what what exactly makeup that is because I don't put makeup on myself. But in any case, if she has an outer third um, eyebrow loss, then then I am looking at thyroid there, and we'll talk more about the lab test there. That that could be a sign of low thyroid. Um, it would be interesting to see, you know, how long she's had these menstrual cycle irregularities. Another thing that happens um, around the age of average of about mid-30s, like 35, is that progesterone starts to decrease. That's one of the first hormones to decrease in premenstrual women is, is progesterone. And this can, this can result in sometimes irregular cycles. It can result in some imbalances in hormones because estrogen and progesterone kind of are like the yin or yang or... Um, I guess maybe two kids on a seesaw is what I often say too, is that estrogen and progesterone kind of balance out each other so that if progesterone is a little too low, they, people could have a relatively, um, t- relatively too much estrogen and, and call it, that could cause things like mood swings and things like that. Um, so it would be interesting to see kind of when she started having irregularities in her period and we can kind of tie that to, to lab tests and things like that. Um, those are some of the questions I would ask, again, focusing on her, her lifestyle, her stress levels, the history of trauma, and then maybe when she, when she started getting the symptoms. It's also important to know that, you know, the, the patient, you know, Alicia's going to tell us the answer. I mean, that's, that's another thing in medicine that I just want to get a little bit of a, a little bit of a, of a soapbox on is that it's really the, the patient and it's really the, the person that's sitting in front of you that's going to tell you the answer most of the time. You know, most of the time, if you listen to that person, they're going to tell you the answer because their body kind of knows. And the body's symptoms are not enemies. The body's symptoms are are friends. They're actually something that's going to tell Alicia what's going on. So I think it's really important for her to understand that these symptoms are not something that she wants to push away and suppress and try to paint over. But it's actually something that's a friend. It's an opportunity for her to really understand what's going on with her body. And her body's telling her to give her, give her that chance. So lifestyle, um, from a nutrition perspective, kind of always starting with nutrition here, um, looking at some of the things she's doing, like pre-made meals, packaged foods, imitation meats, Nutrition can affect hormone balance. Again, having there's a few things that are that are relevant here, but one is that if there's a a glucose insulin rise from processed foods or ultra processed foods, that leads to a spike in, in glucose and that can affect hormone balance. It can lead to things like what's called estrogen dominance, where there's too much estrogen and too little progesterone. Um, sugar would do that. But another thing to remember is that a lot of packaged foods are very high in carbohydrates. So, or e- if it's added sugar, even if it's starches without added sugar, that's going to turn into sugar pretty quickly in the body. Um, I'd love to hear her um, 
her thoughts about um, and and we have we have our health coaches that that often say this in our clinic, but you know eating our foods um, for nourishment and eating eating our foods for nourishing ourselves rather than just eating for survival. So when when we're in survival mode, we're not really eating the food; we're just kind of wolfing it down. You know, I, have you ever seen anyone like? eat a eat a plate of of noodles or you know eat a plate eat a um the hot dog champions you know they're actually just wolfing things down as fast as they can and and you know we we laugh at that but we also do that ourselves right when we're stressed out or we're, we have a lot on our plates you know this busy mom alicia she's juggling her child care and her household needs and a busy family schedule and her partner and, and she's expected to take care of herself and there could be some societal pressures like i was saying in the beginning there so i'm wondering about how she eats how how um how fast she eats is she mindful of her of her food and is she chewing that because that's that's going to be actually really important on the lifestyle so i think chewing her food um that that could be very important and and then what is she eating you know basically is she eating processed foods a lot if she is there could be different you know healthier options for her you know maybe maybe starting out the meal with with salads or with some something maybe easy um if she's like on the go uh, maybe packing a pre-made salad that's you know healthy and organic ideally and she eats that first and then if she wants to eat something kind of later like a chocolate or you know something like that she eats that after the salad and then getting the protein in so we know that for hormones you need protein and it's very important to know that you know protein is going to give you the amino acids that help you with mood and help you with um with with mood and hormone balance too so getting enough protein is very important at every meal our nutritionists usually say to eat protein and fat at every meal for good hormone health and i, I would definitely agree with that as well um, in terms of exercise she does take a zumba class once a week and she does walk uh, daily as well um, this is a more general thing, and, and I think it's not specifically towards hormones, but we do think about, you know, strength training, especially to prevent bone density issues down the line for, for a 40-year-old. You know, she still has um, menstrual cycles, and, and so likely she still has a good amount of estrogen and progesterone and testosterone in her body. But as those hormones inevitably and naturally decline over time, you, you're going to get, you know, potentially more of, a, of an increase in bone density loss, you know, for, for especially women. So, so we're going to look at, you know, potentially making sure that she's adding strength training to her uh, exercise regimen as well. Um, and then I would say from a lifestyle recommendation as well, back to that history, back to that question about what, what gives you joy, Alicia? You know, what is going to give you a sense of a break in the day and relaxation and, and you know, nourish you uh, both, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and spiritually as well. So um, if that's going outside, um, walking in nature, maybe walking with a pet, uh, gardening, listening to, to uh, you know, music that she loves, or, or just laying down the floor. If she's exhausted, which it sounds like she may be, just laying down the floor and doing a little bit of yoga nidra or shavasana, which is a corpse pose, you know, basically kind of laying down and taking a little bit of time for herself and adding in some breath work. Um, we know that breath work is one of the best medicines. In fact, there's actually a saying of meditation could be one of the best medications. Meditation is not just about sitting on a cloud and floating on a cloud, which which it's not really that anyway, um, but it's actually being mindful and being mindful of the present moment. And you can access this. Alicia can access this at any time. This is a person that's very busy, like I said, with her kids, with her partner, with her household. But even when she's like interacting that way, she can 
she can kind of stop and and basically pause and and breathe while even while she's doing that things those things. But ideally, I would have Alicia do some breath work um, before and after. Uh, the day, sort of at the beginning of the day before everyone wakes up. And at the end of the day, um, I would usually recommend to pe- for people to do about five minutes of breathing um, twice a day. So maybe at the beginning and at the end. And and again, there's different types of breathing. But I think for her, um, I would say uh, there's two types. One is called 555 breathing, which is five seconds inhale, five seconds holding the breath, five seconds of, of exhalation. And doing that for about two minutes or ideally five minutes. And then if she has anxiety, then she could actually shift to a four, seven, eight breathing. So that's four seconds in, seven seconds of exhale, and, and then eight seconds of, uh, I'm sorry, uh, four seconds inhale, seven seconds of holding the breath, and then eight seconds of exhale. Because that exhalation greater than the inhalation is going to increase her vagus nerve activity. That's the relaxation nerve. That's going to be like, ah, it's okay. It's okay to, to slow down. So... Um, that that I think would be important, and then lifestyle-wise, I would say the only other thing is um, I would ask her about her sleep because um, we didn't talk about sleep, but I'm assuming she's actually not sleeping very well, or a lot of times people don't sleep well premenstrually. Um, this this may be because hormones tend to change and. Um, different hormones are affected. Uh, uh, for instance, when estrogen drops premenstrually, a lot of times serotonin drops, and serotonin is the precursor to melatonin, which is helpful for sleep onset. So a lot of these things are related to her menstrual cycle. And um, also progesterone helps because progesterone can really help um, with increasing GABA, and GABA is a, a neurotransmitter, or brain chemical that actually helps with sleep maintenance. So both estrogen and, and GABA um, and melatonin, all these different hormones are really important for sleep. So we want to ask her about her sleep. And depending on what she says about, hey, I'm having trouble falling asleep, I'm having trouble staying asleep, we might give her some different lifestyle recommendations or even nutraceutical re- recommendations um, or hormone recommendations for that. So testing, uh, definitely from a hormone perspective, we're kind of looking at the big three. So if you imagine a pyramid of you know, adrenals, thyroid, and sex hormones, definitely we want to look at all of those. So we'd look at her her DHEA, we'd look at her cortisol levels, we'd look at her sex hormones, which include things like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and then our friendly taxicab driver, the sex hormone binding globulin. Um, and then I think from a perspective of thyroid, again, looking at the full thyroid panel, because all those are, you know, interconnected, all these hormones are connected. Um, I would also, from a hormone perspective, look at fasting insulin. Insulin is that hormone, again, secreted by the pancreas that's going to really be helpful in, um, in getting glucose into our cells, but also if it's too high over time chronically, it can lead to, again, fat storage and weight loss resistance and, and everything like that. So I think these are some of the hormone tests that we'd recommend. Uh, we would also, I think, recommend some some other other things related to anxiety, especially things like vitamin D, omega three, um, fatty acid levels, which is a mega check. Look at vitamin B twelve as well and folate. So um, there's that there's something called methylation, which I think for purposes of this, there's some genetics involved and epigenetics involved, which is the way that our genes are affected by our environmental inputs. And there's certain vitamins that are needed to help with a process called methylation. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because if she suffers from anxiety, she may have some undermethylation. And so we want to check various vitamins, including B12 and folate and potentially B6 as well. So there's a lot of uh, different vitamins that could be checked there, but those are some of the big ones. 
I think from a low energy perspective, another thing that is happening a lot of times is we overlook iron. Now, when you talk about iron, iron is a mineral, but iron is a key component of hemoglobin. So hemoglobin, basically the red blood cells, that's going to carry oxygen to all of Alicia's cells and tissues. So if she's having low iron, which she might have if she's having heavier or regular cycles, then iron is going to be a really important thing to test. So typically, we're going to check a full iron panel. That's going to be iron. That's going to be iron saturation. It's going to be total iron binding capacity. So um, that and then a complete blood count will be a full iron panel. So I think all these things are very, very helpful um, for her. Um, and then otherwise, uh, you know, testing, we can look into the functional testing. So from a hormone perspective, there's actually a hormone metabolism test called the Dutch test. Now, Dutch um, always joke that it's not, we're not talking about the Netherlands here, although I've been there and it's a nice place to go. There's a lot of water in the Netherlands, by the way. But the Dutch test is actually an acronym that stands for Dried Urine Testing for Comprehensive Hormones. So this is a test that looks at dried urine samples and hormone uh, metabolites and levels of things like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, but also things like cortisol and DHEA. Um, it also looks at different estrogen and testosterone and progesterone metabolites. So the way we look at hormones sometimes is sometimes it's kind of like a pinball machine. You start with that kind of ball somewhere, but then it'll kind of travel, and you might not know where it ends up. So we want to understand, especially with estrogen, where that estrogen is ending up in the body. Estrogen does tend to get detoxified by the liver. The liver is the main detox organ, as, as you probably know. And, and the liver is responsible for hormone detoxification. So hormones are very good for us, but then at the end of the day, they have to be detoxified so that, they're, that they can be excreted, so that the byproducts of the, say, estrogen or different hormones can be uh, excreted um, successfully. So, so this is going to tell you about all those different hormone metabolites and kind of what's happening in the body that way. And, and I think these are, these are some of the tests that we would start with for, for Alicia. So practitioners that, that we think this patient would be benefit, benefiting uh, from, I think certainly um, she would want to see her, her GYN and, you know, do regular pelvic exams and pap smears and, you know, things like that. We'd want to make sure that she ideally sees a functional specialist that is, uh, that is expert in hormones, you know, that, to do some of these kind of more advanced tests that we're talking about here. Um, I think she would also be really benefiting from seeing a trauma therapist, especially. You know, she had anxiety that's related to a trauma accident, right? Not all anxiety is related to trauma, but a lot of trauma does cause anxiety, depression, um, PTSD, you know, a lot of different things. So I, I think getting to the root of that on the mental health side would be really important to, to do as well. Um, and then depending on what's going on with her you know, diet. I mean, eating a vegetarian diet can be really healthy, but again, making sure that she's getting enough fats and proteins, sending her to a functional nutritionist or naturopathic doctor that's really well-versed in these types of, um, of you know, care plans is, is going to be very important, I think, and kind of changing her lifestyle for the better. Um, because I think this case is really a lot of times about lifestyle, um, and, and sometimes nutraceuticals can be very helpful, especially for her sleep. Um, depending on what's kind of going on there, and, and then her hormone levels as well. So top, top three most important steps this patient needs to take. First of all, the biggest thing for her is to slow down, is to slow down, smell her coffee, smell the roses outside, um, take some deep breaths, do a little bit of yoga, do a little bit of breathing, basically take time for herself. Understand 
maybe write down in a journal, maybe write down in a notepad, whatever she likes to do, and then try to figure out, you know, she needs to figure out, wants to figure out what is going to bring her joy, what's going to bring her some relaxation during the day that's going to help her body take a deep breath and just kind of relax and recover and rejuvenate. So that's the, that's really the biggest thing for her. Everything else will flow from that. So if we give her a bunch of treatment plans to do and she's still running around like a chicken with her head cut off, that's not her fault. That's just the the systematic effect of her day. So planning her day out a little bit uh, and, and getting the support from her partner, getting the support from her kids, depending on how old they are, they, they could help her out with that as well. Um, get get them some independence as well, right? Because, you know, teaching kids to do stuff themselves is going to really set them up later in life in, in a good way. So I think that's one of the first things. I would say working on her diet to make sure she's getting enough protein and fats to support the hormone balance would be really important. And then I think for her, I would get some lab testing. We want we would want to see kind of where the blood levels are, where the urine testing uh, levels are there for for the hormones. Um, uh, certainly, uh, that outer third of the eyebrow is a potential giveaway for thyroid. So we want to focus on that, and that that could be one of the first things you could do. Um, that would be very easy to do on, on blood work. Um, mostly, uh, just to know that most of the time for hormone testing, we do want that to be a fasting test. So, you know, if, you, if you're listening to this and you have a provider, you know, that's something to mention to them as well. So I hope this episode was really helpful for you. And uh, we all have hormones. We all want the hormones to work in concert with each other. We all want them to work like uh, like a symphony rather than a, a chaotic, uh, you know, a chaotic series of notes. So um, hope your hormones are working together in a very symphonic way. And uh, looking forward to seeing you on the next episode where we're going to talk about brain health. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. A quick reminder that the information we share in this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We highly recommend that you speak to a qualified healthcare provider before making any medical or healthcare decisions. This episode, please take a few moments to subscribe and leave us a review. Your reviews help us reach more people and continue to offer innovative insights and information to better optimize your health and wellness.